We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. David, thanks so much for uh, for coming on here. Excited to speak to you. No problem. My pleasure. My pleasure. We're just saying there, just before we start recording, how actually important it is, uh, especially mm. in today's game. And it's a topic that we probably don't talk enough of. So I suppose I've, I've structured these questions to kind of start at the youth level. And with your experience, when you're looking to uncover young talent, uh, the, the, the talent that Palace with Sean Scannell and Ibra Sigachi, the what jumps out at you at that young under twelve age group, and and how do you assess potential there? Yeah, I mean th- th- those particular sort of two players you mentioned there was um, probably sort of fifteen to seventeen years ago, and at Crystal Palace at the time, given given the area of where it is in the sort of southeast London, um, I was an academy coach and. What I noticed was um, when we used to play for academy teams that there was sort of, when we played Arsenal or Chelsea or um, especially other London clubs like a West Ham, they had sort of a real abundance of, you know, what you call sort of like street, off the cuff, rough diamonds, you know, with great physical qualities and technical qualities. And um, you could tell they had a little bit of an edge to them as well. So, and at Crystal Palace at the time, um, not to sort of scrutinise anyone there, but I was thinking there wasn't enough of sort of diamonds within the academy. So, um, and given the area where it was, um, between the southeast of London, it's just a sort of superb catchment area. So, and I knew obviously my experience of living not too far from there at the time, I, I knew where some of these some of these sort of gems could be sort of hidden. So um, with Wilfie, it was a case of, he was highlighted to me by my sort of young cousin at the time to ask me to come and look at this local team that he was that he was playing in. It was quite an unfashionable team. They were sort of in the C division, um, of like the Croydon Tandridge League, so it was quite far down. And they was playing sort of um, on sort of muddy pitches and sort of usual scenarios, you know, not a big kit wasn't, um, you know, sort of all matching and stuff. So it was... It was quite thrown together and sort of stood out amongst that was this young talent in 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 Wilfie that he was just he was just electric in terms of so when he picked up the ball he was so dynamic he was willing to drive and run and take players on and he was scoring sort of all sorts of goals so I was playing nine aside for fun and I was like wow and you could tell that you know there wasn't any real structure to their football they was just sort of you know the freedom to play by sort of their coach at the time. I invited Wolfie in for sort of a um, a trial over at Crystal Palace, and he had six weeks. And his first six weeks, when he came into sort of an academy environment, was completely different to him. It was unstructured, and the coach at the time was finding it difficult to sort of incorporate in, in the in sessions. And that wasn't sort of to say anything about his coaching, but it was just it was a new type of player coming into the system at that particular time. So we had a conversation and I was like, look, you know, we need to see him and he needs to be seen in the game. That's where he's going to come alive. That's where he's going to show. And ultimately, that's where he's going to be judged on going forward. So 
they played against Tottenham Academy and he, um, I wasn't taking the team. It was a colleague taking the team and he scored five or six goals. And then straight after the game, he said, no, I'm going to, I think we're going to sign him. And that was his first game at academy level. And it was just seeing, it was just seeing talent in its purest form at such a young age. You know, someone that was completely a rough diamond. He was off the cuff, but he was so, you couldn't, you couldn't, there wasn't any particular thing that you was teaching him. He was doing things that, you know, were very, to the naked eye, I would say was unstructured, but ultimately very, very effective. So he was just, a, you know, sort of a unique young talent. And sort of a year later, Ibra um, had only been in the country, I think, if our memory recalls, maybe only six to eight weeks. Um, and he was playing in an under-11 school tournament. And um, I just finished a coaching session at Crystal Palace Academy, and I just wanted to go and have a look. I wasn't looking at anyone in particular. I just knew there was a under-11 tournament. I just thought I'd go and be nosy. And he's, and then I see this, he's he just stood out. Again, very unpolished, quite unstructured. He was um, athletically very good. And technically, he was he was comfortable as well in possession of the football. That probably probably a different type of player to Wilf, where Wilf was, you know, very tricky and skillful as well. Ibra at the time was a very powerful young lad. And he had the ability just to drive past players. Um especially from the midfield areas as well and carry the ball and you know then he could offer something when he you know is his final product over a shot or a pass and he was quite a quite a bright young player same situation with him he was invited down um into the academy and he did adapt to sort of the academy environment pretty quickly even though he had been he'd never been to that level before and he was signed i think within three weeks so it was just, I think with those two, it was just, they become good friends as well throughout the academy, which which was nice to see. But they was just, for me, it was just seeing talent in its purest form at such a young ages. And, you know, over a period of time, you know, Wilfie's gone on to be a phenomenal player, but Ibra, you know, is still playing now at a reasonable level. So through that development, they've gone on and carved out careers for themselves, which is good to see. It's fascinating because... Both of those have in common is that they came from probably unstructured environments before they got into the structured environments. So then, if absolutely, if you're a coach um, and you're thinking, because ultimately, like we sometimes take the school syllabus approach to coaching, to where they have to be good at English, maths, history. But reality yeah. is, do we sort of misinterpret that that there's a you have to have something special about you? Mm. Yeah, we do, and I think especially back then it was quite. Um, you know, now, you know, when you look at the clubs, especially academies, sort of Chelsea, Fulham's, West Ham's, Arsenal, they're very, they're very multicultural in their academies and, and they, you know, and they find these undiscovered talents quite, quite regularly. But we're talking sort of 2003, 2005, where I suppose the, the evolution in the game back then was starting to change. Um, France was sort of quite a dominant force in the world scene of the players like Thierry Henry and, so those type of profile of players was becoming sort of quite attractive, and and then now obviously they're you know they're they're very appealing to most academies. But um, back then it was just seeing those just seeing those unique talents, and since then have gone on and you know produced some wonderful players from their academy system. So and just I think it was just it was for them utilizing what they had on their doorstep, and then the coaches they sort of come on board with that. I had to have an understanding that. 
sometimes it's not just about your coaching session. It's not about, you know, how pretty it looks or, you know, if it's going to go to detailed plan. You've got to predict when you have these type of players within your session, and they're, they're all going to be a different intelligence or confidence levels. And it's about, I always think the best coaches are quite minimal in, in what they do. You know, they're, they're very, they don't say overly too much. They let the session dictate the play, especially at young ages. And and I think nowadays, especially players of that, that it'll really benefit from that. Mm. When you start working with, with Mauricio Pochettino, and a manager like that that we hear about is, you know, super detailed, super intense. Does the process start where he gives you a, a guideline of what he's looking for? Or do you have to gauge that by watching his sessions? How does that process work? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to work with Maurizio twice. Uh, first was at Southampton. Um not so probably closely as I did at Tottenham, but that gave me sort of an insight to sort of how, how he worked. And one of the reasons that Southampton appointed him at the time is because he came from Espanyol, because he had a real affiliation with young players and bringing young players through into into a first-team environment. So, And Southampton at the time was um, producing sort of a number of real quality young players. So his process was quite simple. He His game, he was all about in terms of transition so players had to be sort of athletically capable and it wasn't on about size and about physical size just athletically capable um technically you know assured but not perfection and he was very detailed on character character traits very very detailed to come into the team because like my experience with most uh, managers addressing them is quite you know it's quite a sacred place so especially for a young players. What he was good at is accepting that young players are going to come in and make mistakes. They're going to have young players. They're going to do things that young players and young people do. But he would, you know, if they had that, they had that sort of footballing quality combined with a couple of real sort of good character traits that he was looking at, then, and they'd be able to adapt, then he was always open to give sort of young players that chance to sort of train with him and eventually sort of get opportunities to play first team. Mm. I mean, when you're looking at demanding, does that become part of it as well? Because that's the, yeah. the word on him is that every day is a, a tough day with him. Yeah, it is. I mean, at Tottenham, I got, you know, my role was become a lot more closer to him because it was a lot more, um, my job was sort of head of elite. So it was basically 16 to first team. And the players that, that, that um, my team was looking at was, the best sort of talent of 17s, 18s, 19s, not to sort of fulfill an academy or an under 23 position, but to, to train with the first team. So we had sort of a quite a thorough process to do that. And and that gave me a real insight to um, where I was located at the training ground to watch him more train every day. So the time I was there to watch his training sessions, to get to know him personally, I understood the process and the criteria of the type of players he wanted. Um, but just to get to know that, because it was all about the environment for me. You know, it was all about um, what what we're going to bring these players into. So I had to get a real full understanding of of him, his 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 philosophy, his environment, his intensity, and so it gives you a real insight. So when you're looking at potential top players that can come in, and where Tottenham was at the time, they was challenging. You know, they were challenging for the league title. They was finishing second. You know, respectively twice in a row. So. 
you know, it's quite a tough ask to get a young player to do that. So there was a number of things that that you was you had to be really assured on, especially when it comes to sort of decision time where you was actually going to ask, present it to management, to Daniel Levy and Maurizio, and and it got to that level. And you know your process and everything you went through to get to that stage, you would, by then Maurizio would have seen either clips of the player or depend on his availability on his schedule sometimes on the sort of odd occasion he could get out to watch him live himself but what was good about him he trusted in the process and we knew that you know what he was looking for within that did did he spend much time again someone who is willing to bring those players in and and kind of you said they deal with the mistakes of those players did you see him spend much time off training with young players? Does he, you know, coffees, lunch, meetings? Do you see that in the environment as well? Yeah, absolutely. He was very good. He was very good. So, to give you an example, if a player from um, Tottenham's academy was going to jump up and train with him, what he would do is he would sit down and have sort of a get-to-know session with him, which could last maybe sort of half an hour or so, and that could be over lunch or in his office and. It was quite relaxed for them, but he was. what he was doing was assessing their sort of young character traits to see if they could come in and handle sort of that intensity of, of his training session and his environment because they had the talent to, you know, and that opportunity, but it was, he didn't, he wanted, he didn't want players to be overawed um, by the occasion of coming up, wanting them to relax and be themselves. So, and after as well, he was very good with them in terms of um, in terms of sort of the feedback and stuff. So and and in the A's he had the academy. So he his idea was to get the best out of the player. He had to know the person. So to, to especially a young person. So to, and because they was going to undertake a number of challenges, and he knew to do that that he was a, and that's why he was that he was a good developer of not only players but people. Mm. Yeah, on that subject, whenever you join a club the size of Tottenham, I couldn't even imagine if you're 18, 19, more money in the pocket, more profile. How do you manage the, I suppose, the life changes in a, in a person through that time? Yeah, I'm, I was lucky enough at Tottenham that um, the good thing was that we had sort of a certain sort of financial parameters and budgets that um, not only that we could purchase a, a particular player, we couldn't sometimes, if we was competing against a Chelsea, a Man United, a Barcelona, Bayern Munich, those type of players of the quality we wanted, if it did come down for sort of financials from sort of our position, nine times out of ten we knew that we probably couldn't offer what they could in terms of that. But what we could offer the player was um, a, a, a decent package, but... Uh, a real footballing environment education where they're going to come in and train automatically with the first team and we had sort of set criterias and set pay structures which allowed young players to sort of earn their sort of pay pay increases if you like on merit and performance and so our philosophy wasn't to give too much too early um so they had to, to had to earn it. They was, you know, fortunate enough to be at a club the size of Tottenham, train at world class facilities with a world class manager and players, and be, you know, be in that real elite environment. And that was, and that was kind of their education, and that was kind of what what we wanted them to buy into. Because if young top talent bought into that, and they didn't necessarily maybe wanted to, they had other sort of agendas, 
then we knew that, you know, tipping the odds in our favour, that we could have one that could really have a strong chance to succeed. Data and recruitment, hot topic. I mean, how, how, much, is, yeah. how much has that changed in the last five, ten years? Yeah, it's, it has. It's, 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 playing, it's, it's playing quite a you know, prevalent role now, in, I think, in the game. And, and quite rightly so. You know, there's a there is a need and demand for it, and my my, my take on it is is you tailor your analysis, especially your recruitment analysis, to the identity and the philosophy of your football club, because there is there's an array of data data out there that you know we can all have access to and use, um, but the way sort of that's Tottenham, the way the analysts worked, and the way that you know was set up at Huddersfield as well, that it's it's used to it's used to enhance what you're doing it's used to enhance it's used to give you sort of outliers and benchmarks and base marks on certain criteria of on players and certain uh, and 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 certain marks that you're probably not going to see on the naked eye and we're looking to uncover maybe sort of potential talent that you know the scouting eye doesn't see so it can throw up a number of real sort of interesting interesting factors how it how it can be used and but i think that's got to run parallel to the other work you do do like you cannot i mean i've never and i've never been at a club that have just signed a player just based on sort of analytics and live video reports um they want i think it's you still got it's still a massive need for your sort of live scouting there's certain things within the live scouting that you you're not going to get off the video there's certain characteristic traits, there's certain um, intensity traits, there's certainly, say we talk about hard work, what is hard work? Well, you know, that, that can be intensified on a game situation if you're watching it live. There could be a situation where he's gone down to go behind, 10 men, um, some, some poor decisions. And he's looking at strength of characters, so sometimes you can be mentally drained by them. So they're still continuing that work ethic and that strength, strength of character. So all those things you see, in support of the analytical work that you're doing, which is, you know, specific for your club. Um, and as well as sort of a number your profile work and all your sort of character profile checks, it's all just, it's, it all amalgamates to, to your sort of final decision process. Yeah. I want to stay there on the, on the character process because I'm fascinated by this. I went to an event a couple of years ago at Leicester and I was sitting beside Craig Shakespeare and it was just before they won the league. And I was yeah. like, what's the secret? And he was he just good people, good professionals. Um, so then my next is, well, how do you actually, because over here, the problem, David, is that if you, on the recruitment side in college, the people that you, you ask the parent and the parent's going to tell you that they're great. Yeah. You ask the club coach and the club coach wants them to do well. So they're going to say it. I mean, is yeah. there, how do you go through this process? Who are you calling? <laughs> it's, um, I suppose the best way to describe this is, is when I was at Bournemouth, um, uh, when I first went into that club, um, Eddie Howe was, like Potch, was absolutely massive on character. So, and then you kind of came, how can we identify character traits? So I've always been fascinated by this as well. Um, I did a master's in sort of sports psychology and I wanted other areas because I knew that, you know, football's an unpredictable game. People are, you know, we're not all perfect human beings. So with with something like Bournemouth, it was, again, we went through all the data stuff, but 
what, what we had is we have five identifiable traits which represented um, Bournemouth as a football club and also an Eddie Howe player that would be good for the dressing room, what we're bringing into him. And also characteristic traits which was going to enhance not only themselves but the other players around them. So you're looking at that blend as well. So you had all these objectives you're taking into. So there were sort of five. And we never had, and and it, you could never get all five because you you know we don't live in a perfect world. But if we could identify three, and that would be through sort of our own research work, that would be by our um, scouting observations, that would be sort of through their social media, that would be by talking to sort of close contacts or coaches, managers, associates that had worked with them that that we felt we could trust as well. So you could have that tr- that, that network that you can trust and have that reliability, and then you sort of marry those up with with your with your playing traits with certain playing traits as well because they you know the two should marry together and you should start seeing you know some things that particularly stand out so you're not just looking to say he's, he does one thing that means he's a hard worker that means he's a good character that means that he does this we looked for sort of um what we called spikes so maybe two or three things that might lead us to think okay that he's a got a potential character to be to be this type and then once we married them in together um that would again that would be quite key especially when we was like presenting players to ed you know that was no player ever got past unless we knew once we identified he see all the clips and he was happy with all the data and all the information that was provided it was always okay what do we know about him what, what you know what, where are we going with this who have we got our references from how have we found out what's the social media saying da, da, da. And that, and that sort of gauged, and then we could marry that up and go, okay, well, we think he's a Bournemouth and Eddie Howe. He will fit into your into your team in this position because of this, 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 and this from a character perspective. And I, and I had that trust with Ed as well to do that because he sort of trusted in your in your judgment. And that didn't, you know, that didn't come instantly overnight. Um, that came with sort of the players over the two-year period that, you know, I would say probably 80% of them are still there now. So... Um, I think it gives longevity, but if you can get that side right to, to the player, because you know that they just co- they come they're going to come into your club and enhance the club and enhance the dressing room, but also add longevity to sort of their career. They're not just coming in for the quick fix, and that and that was what we was looking for at Bournemouth. Mm. Harder to shift them these days as well when it, when it doesn't work out. Yeah, of co- of course, yeah, of, of course, because you know gossip spreads like wildfire in football and. Mm situations sometimes change for players and scenarios change and you know maybe they're not in the team as much and you know their, their personalities could alter because of those scenarios or it could be a number of things it could be outside circumstances that are influencing them and uh, so the, the, what what we did well as well as part of that sort of character assessment is what's the transition of them coming in so if we knew that say for example a player that he was married or he had kids then is to make that transition as easy as possible. What, what's the age of his kids? Do they need schooling? Are they old enough to need higher education? You know, what type of areas you're looking to live? Bournemouth, you know, is a beautiful area to live. So it was quite, you know, it's quite nice. So um, if they was an overseas players, it's, you know, it's got sort of free language schools. So again, we had access to that. And that was, and it was just small little details to make them sort of feel welcome that to try and eliminate the outer, distractions if you like or things that we try that might you know maybe 
sort of um, take away from their performance to make it as comfortable as possible that transition. Moving on now to management, uh, I mean, what criteria do you have when, yeah, this is the tough one. I mean, like, yeah. how do you, what's a set or what's an example of a set of criteria that you would look for when the club said, all right, let's find the next person in charge here? Yeah, the good example of that would be Huddersfield, I suppose, because I, I literally um, was thrown into the lion's den a little bit because I'd only been at the club probably three, four days. Um, and there was a change of management from Jan Siva. I had to, I had to call after the Fulham game. They the owner phoned me and told, you know, I've made this decision. I know you're due to start, you know, you you've only started a couple of days ago, but it's going to be a load of applications come your way on your email tomorrow morning. And I'm thinking, right, okay. So my first thought was, right, okay, I need to get up because I was still sort of in in London at the time, right, I need to get up to Huddersfield and ingrain myself ingrain myself in the club as much as I can. So start to look at well, what what is Huddersfield as a football club? What what type of manager does it need? Once that was agreed that um, what type of manager it was going to be in terms of where he was going to look. So we wanted sort of an up-and-coming manager, was open to look abroad, was open to look in the UK. But it was something where it was, that had a little bit of success but someone on the rise, someone up and coming, someone's going to be new and fresh impetus because Huddersfield at the time hadn't won, you know, in quite a long time being relegated from the Premier League. So all those factors come into consideration. And then what is Huddersfield as a football club? You know, it's based in Yorkshire. It's a hard-working, it's a hard-working town. You know, it's got a real community affiliation associated with a football club. Um it's got real core values, you know, in terms of like hard work and honesty and and th- what they wanted is from any member of staff that come in was just that, that commitment to the club and understand and what it was about. So when we went through our criteria, we did sort of under some analysis profiling on um, what I would call the usual, which probably a number of clubs go through in terms of sort of their, their playing styles because we wanted a certain playing style and then we would say right we want you want to bring academy players through that's part of our sort of two three year plan to integrate academy players so young managers that are used to been used to working with or had good affiliation with young players as well so that, that was a key for us and also affiliation with maybe the community that they could engage with a fan because obviously the team at the time wasn't doing so well so just to give that sort of that lift, the, the group as well, the players obviously weren't, you know, were struggling a bit from a mental capacity. So we had to take in all, all this summary. And when, when you do that, there's probably only sort of four or five, um, and obviously financially as well, you know, what type of, you know, what type of financial package is going to look like. Four or five that really come out of that, that stand out. And then you, the ones that are not employed, um, there was a couple that we spoke to, also you can speak to them, the ones that we needed to speak to. We obviously got permission from their clubs. And then it was just getting that. Well, once we got all our criteria down and we narrowed down what we thought from the outside, I sort of did a lot of research on the ones in terms of trusted people, right? In terms of we're doing the opposite now, where players that have played under them, managers that knew them um, within on the circuit, and some real trusted sources that you could gain sort of some insights to their characters as well. Um, and then when we when we spoke to sort of a few, the, the ones that stood out to us the most was the Cowley brothers, um, because they ticked not only sort of footballing the footballing side of things that they 
their core values was pretty similar to Huddersfield's. What, what was the mantra from the new owner? So that that was a massive tick. There was they'd done a lot of community work at um, Lincoln. That was a massive tick. They were young managers on the rise. They had good success. We like where they come from, all the way from non-league, all the way up to League One. You know, they success in um, the FA Cup as well a couple of times, and 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 they had the they had the sort of ingredients. They could get the best out of. Um, to get the best out of players because if you look at the squads they worked with they wasn't always probably the strongest teams in the leagues but they made them strong probably through their work ethic and their training and um, working with the players on a daily basis and that and that's what we really needed so when we sort of married everything together it took about a five-week process um, that was sort of our sort of foregone conclusion that they would they would bring that and they did when they come in they sort of hit the ground running straight away um they fulfilled all their sort of community aspects as well by going into schools and hospitals and doing sort of um sort of loads of fans engagement stuff and and also um with the staff as well they were very engaging with all the staff all across the club not just with the first team they wanted to get to know everyone and you know sort of have that a little bit of an open door policy as well so they was approachable um they were very humble as well but they but, but they were very demanding um, in terms of their work ethic, and as young as young young managers, young coaches, they sort of embraced the modern trends of the game. So they had an idea on sort of sports science and analytics, and um, psychology was massive to them as well. So it just you know at a time, it, and they done well. When their objective was for Huddersfield for year one was to um, transition year and to keep Huddersfield within the championship because when they took over they were second from bottom so that was the objective and then in January to start to we started to work together to bring in players which were the core of sort of our what we thought were Huddersfield players along with the sort of imprint of the manager and what the owner's remit was. Mm. Yeah I heard uh, I did recently Danny did a podcast with training ground ground guru and it yeah was, yeah fantastic like really really high on values really high on yeah. on the almost context of that there as well what that means in the club yeah yeah and i think nowadays you have to you know but with the staff and with the manager especially if you're in these position like a sporting director role or as the head of football when you've been tasked to um appoint a manager you have to you have to really look at the long term of what's going to be um, sustainable for your football club and I, I think now obviously what's gone on with sort of the global pandemic with coronavirus going forward there's going to be a lot more need for that as well that that managers and coaches um, are going to be recruited based on what the club's objectives are what's uh, what's the needs of the clubs and so kind of when you're looking at players that's going to be sort of clubs remit when they're maybe looking at managers and coaches that they want someone to come in and it's because it's not financially sustainable sometimes if you employ a manager and he's got a complete different working style to your club you know it's, it's not it's not going to get off to a good start straight away so you want you want some you know you want some traits that are going to marry up so it gives the, the best chance of success going forward something that's always fascinated me uh, especially when you say modern trends and not not danny in particular but just even a, a trend on coaches what is this what is this interview job interview look like for a for a top level management do they bring in all the gadgets or is it a sit in a cloak and dagger meeting in a hotel or what is it today yeah I, it's, it's no different i suppose until 
um, than, than what you would normally do. I mean, different managers have, you know, the ones we spoke to, some, uh, a couple presented to us in terms of, um, and it wasn't anything in terms that you know, everyone's expecting these massive fan dangle presentations. And I think the best managers keep it very, very simple. So the presentations was very simple. What, what they're going to bring, what's their playing styles, how they're going to improve the group going forward and all the stuff they're going to sort of implement with Danny and Nikki. Um, the first, after we got permission from Lincoln, the first we wanted to do is myself and the owner went to sit down and just without sort of all the gadgets and stuff and just speak to them face to face and have a real football conversation. So it was kind of, we had our set sort of questions that we went, that we, we was going to ask, but the questions it didn't, it didn't feel like a formal interview with them. It felt like that we were just chatting about football. It was pretty, it was pretty relaxed. And I think when it's, when the environments are quite relaxed, you're going to get to see, you know, people that show what show what they are about. And, um, they kind of, you know, they kind of had, you know, they kind of spoke through their philosophy and their values and, you know, the way they played and their playing style and stuff. So I, I think it's just all depends on, on the management of, of how they particularly want to, want to get their message across how can a coach because tactical flexibility is also a, a thing today and, and obviously working with with people that have, have excelled in that there how, how can you be tactically flexible but then also you know that that environment isn't jumping all over the place every day of the week yeah yeah it's i think also you know especially with the managers that i work with that they kind of they kind of had their they call what they call their philosophy and their identity of play. So, and key principles was a big one as well. And Danny and Nikki had that. So, if you look, if you look at those three sort of three sort of um, sort of points, and just say, look, this is how we want to play. These are the and and with Ed with Ed's playing style was very possession based. Uh, they wanted to control the game. They wanted to have players that were very technically proficient on the ball. And they played sort of a couple of systems that, that suited that. Um, with Poch, it was, he had sort of a, you know, a 4-2-3 or 4-3-3 framework. And there was, if you freeze frame the game, you'd always say that you could never see what we're playing because sometimes you could evolve into what you had, what we called five attacking players all bombing forward and he had five sitting back or the wingers coming in from different objectives and different scenarios. So it was always the identity and the function of their play and the philosophy rather than sort of the tactical sort of evolution of it. So they just, if they stuck to their key frameworks, then the, ta- then the tactical flexibility within game, especially at those levels, they was expecting players to, you know, be been able to adapt to that in terms of sort of rehearse training. Brilliant. Last couple for you, the, Managing up, managing upwards is, I think, a key skill, and and being in a position that is upwards, because we always ask it the coaches, and they're they're talking from down about. Up. I mean, what tips would you have for a coach who needs to almost master certain skills? I mean, how do they connect with that uh, upper level management? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's. I think you have to accept sometimes if you're if you're hands-on with the chairman or the owner from a management or from my position point of view i think your first object is to understand that it's their football club and they want to impose the way they want it run from an outside in perspective in and 
the playing style from the coaches is obviously agreed beforehand. So, and I think it's it's having sort of like an unwritten contract before you go in and some sort of like agreements in place that, you know, that's not going to hinder the progress of the, of the manager doing his job and the manager understands that this is the way the owner works. So then you've got that sort of unwritten contract before you go in. And sometimes with owners, you know, that they, a lot of owners, sometimes they want to impose what they think from a football side, even if their expertise has been in sort of high level business. And I think you have to absorb that and, you know, take on board what they're saying. And if they want to implement certain things and you might have a discussion where you don't think that's the right thing to do. For me, it's always about quick wins. So if you, if he wants to implement something and you don't think it's quite right, but it could fit in in another way, then it's a case of you're still taking that idea on board and you're still doing it because any, any owner would want to see that sort of that, that part implementation but you're also doing your job. So you're so you're doing your you're taking your spin in it. So they're sort of you're having that sort of an alignment and agreement with them as well. So you're, you're, not, you're not sort of battling. The dog run around. <laughs> yeah, it's a knock at the door. <laughs> uh, no worries, no worries. Um yeah, for so for, for coaches who would I suppose like to get into that role like you've kind of transitioned from a, a field position to an upper level management i mean when did you see that or how would you advise coaches to who are interested in doing the same yeah it was quite interesting for me because i i started off sort of back in 2002 wanting to be a coach and eventual manager of a football team um and I suppose what, what changed it for me was in 2009, I, I did um, back then with the academy manager's license with the with the English FA. And part of that, you had to do a, a European club study visit. And at the time I was at Mill was a sort of youth coordinator, um, sort of of the eights to 14s. Um, and I was just doing my master's at the time. And and what I learned, I did a study at Bayer Leverkusen, and that sort of opened my eyes in terms of, of the global game, the European game. And, and part of your study, you had to find out sort of the intimate workings of the club. And, and then I become that they sort of that they sort of sent me out. And I felt like I, I had a good um, sort of relationship with Rudy Volop. They quite, quite liked us for some reason, but he, he sent us out and he said, you're not just here to write notes you have to fill the club. So there was a, there was an under 17 tournament, um, like a national sunset. And he said, you will go with like the head, the head scout and you will go and he will give you some pitches and you will watch the games. And I had no idea of the German leagues or the players. So I just, all I did was wrote down the game and the players that stood out and then give my reasons why. And I didn't have any criteria. He said, you, you just write what you think and what you see. And when we got back, we were on this big sort of, big sort of table and Rudy Voller was speaking in Germany he said right David your turn and I'm like okay he said I had to stand up in front of the group and I started talking about um the character side and he says and he said to me, well, why, 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 why are you saying this well, what was this what's this he says you're English it doesn't you know character is not usual I was expecting you to say you know he does this he's hard in the tackle he runs and I said well no he's I was trying to think of what the Labour Coup in my brief sort of one or two days here. I was trying to think of you know what would represent a Labour Coup player, what you know what 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 core values would they have? 
And since then, um, it sort of made me think that I'm going to need a lot more than coaching and talent ID becomes sort of a real interest for me. I did my master's um, to incorporate my coaching badges. And, and then I sort of had an idea that um, I was fascinated with recruitment. So I, I, I sort of come away from coaching a little bit and sort of went into sort of talent ID positions with Southampton, head of recruitment at Tottenham and then um, sort of head of elite at Tottenham and head of recruitment at Bournemouth. And, and then I got the chance to sort of be a technical director in uh, Ostersen's club in Sweden. And it, and it sort of came out of the blue and that sort of got me thinking that, you know, I was already thinking of along those lines of how, what, what's going to be my next step. You know, I've been head of recruitment at Premier League club. So, you know, where, where can I go from here? So it was just, I would say sort of your advice would be, would be do as much learning as you can. Don't just rely on sort of one or coaching knowledge, even a talent ID knowledge. You know, I did a master's knowledge because I wanted to, you know, have a, my own unique way of looking at players. And I think that's helped me adapt my methodology when I go into different clubs because each each club had a different playing style, different managers, different philosophies, different DNAs. And it helped me um, understand that even though that I might have my own idea of, of football and how what you think is a you know is a is a is a really good player that it's about environments and that was my key thing about understanding that and also amalgamating them all together. So amalgamating the sports science, amalgamating the analytics, the physical conditioning, the medical and it started to me think, well, the way the game is going that it's becoming more, you know, prevalent to have a sporting director or someone in that role. Um and I wanted to make myself educated so when I got to these positions that I would have a, probably a, a strong knowledge on one, which would be recruitment, but also a good understanding on coaching, analytics, so I could have detailed conversations and with sort of members of staff on those departments and that I had that I had good understanding of how I could align all that to to what the values of the club were. So it's a case of I think it's just for me, broadening your horizons of um, not just looking at football clubs, but looking at other businesses, other sports. I think psychology is is a massive is a massive tool to have in your armory in terms of understanding talent ID and recruitment, along with analytics. And I think if you start to sort of narrow down to two or three real quality tools that you think you're good at, and then eventually you do want to sort of give you that chance to be a sporting director, that will sort of give you a maybe a sort of solid foundation to, um, you know, build yourself up into that role. Mm. Fantastic. Brilliant. David, thank you very much. I've really, really enjoyed this. Flown by. No, no, really good. No, really good. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.